Welcome to the Emerge Leadership Connection, the podcast that gives you the keys to unlock your heroic potential, develop into a legendary leader, and emerge into who you were meant to be. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Jeff Jones and discuss the challenges and traumas that can be put upon people with addictions caused by their family the challenges with the confrontational approach to facing someone fighting addiction, what does addiction really mean, and a new model to combat addiction. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, founder of the Leadership Guide and finalist for the Extraordinary Award for coaches with ideas that can change people, businesses, and the world for the better for my ideas on leadership. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to discover how to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders with the goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofit causes which are currently looking to impact the world and make it better for future generations. Now, on to the show. Yep perception becomes root that that's ex- exactly true so you know us being able to slow it down and you know people who are family members who don't have the impaired brain or the addicted brain kind of thing they have a much better possibility and potential to be able to interrupt the pattern yeah so that's what and and then this last roll over at 10 o'clock that's sitting out there by itself with no line is, um, you know, someone who has been in some of the other roles or all the other roles and they tried and tried and tried and n- n- nothing has worked, nothing has changed, they're frustrated, they're irritated, they're over it, and oftentimes those people have to move away from the family and for them to heal from a family like this is they need to go into this role and distance themselves and have a boundary. So when I'm, when I'm talking with families and I briefly describe this, I, I I'm like, Hey, does any of this sound familiar? And they're like hitting their forehead and going, Oh my goodness. And me, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I say, okay, so with traditional thinking, how would we want to fix this problem? Like, let's just look at this visual diagram that I call the spotlight diagram. How do we fix this? And so I'm sitting there with the family and we're just brainstorming and, and um, I can really get a sense of what the dynamic is in the family just by how people react. But Oftentimes, people will say, if they hired me for intervention, they'll say, well, Jeff, that's why you're here. We just want you to get Johnny and get him to a treatment center (laughs) over here, and then he'll be good to go, and this will all be fixed. And I'm going, hey, well, that's great. And, you know, it's great that we have some good treatment centers around, and actually, there's a problem, and that is... Johnny is going to go there for 30, 60, 90, 120 days, whatever. But then when he comes back into the family, and I point back to this visual diagram that I just talked about, 
And like, where does he go? Where does he fit? Oh my goodness, there's a vacancy here in the middle. He, it's like, it would be very easy for him to slide back into that right role. And that is what we call relapse. And mm-hmm. if, if Johnny learns some things and he really wants to practice them, he's going to go into that role off at like 10 o'clock draw a strong boundary between him and the family. Oftentimes when the family doesn't see this visual diagram, they're going to take it really personal and go, oh my God, Johnny, everything that we've done for you and you're pushing us away and like we're, we're, we're trying to help you. And, but, they, but they don't see that this structure, this spotlight diagram is toxic to Johnny. Yeah. So it's very toxic. And, and what makes it worse, right, is it's, it's what I find is that so many people deep down have really good hearts and they don't really know how to express what they're trying to do. Right. And so they, they perceive that they do, but they haven't learned enough about how they interact with others to, to really do what is in their hearts. And so they, they accidentally hurt the people around them. Right. Right. And it's a lot of times it's not a physical pain. It's not like they're going around punching people, but there's the emotional pains. There's the psychological pains, the, the spiritual pains that go behind that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is exactly what's happening is there's so much kind of behind it, like the unhealed family trauma kind yeah. of thing. And oftentimes they just want Johnny to get fixed up and then they think everything is going to be fine. What I've seen is if Johnny can go into that role at 10 o'clock, draw a strong boundary and still stay connected with the family with that boundary Johnny can lead the family into a change process. Yeah, and it's possible. It's it, very difficult, though. Right. I'm, I mean, I've seen that happen more than I have seen the family change when Johnny changes. Yeah, you know? well, and, and the problem with the, the traditional idea is that they expect the person with the problem to do all of the changing by themselves. Right. Right. And if, if, and I truly believe this, I believe we're all interdependent. Right. And so if you expect someone else to change, then you need to also expect that there's something that you need to change. And so if right. you're a family, right. And you expect this person to change, you need to expect in yourself to change as well. Right. 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 There, do you know, I, um, a guy that I, I know from years ago, a very good family therapist, one of the things that he told me with couples is that in every couple relationship, interaction equals a 10. And I'm going, huh, well, that's interesting. Say more, you, you know, like, what does that mean? Yeah. And so it's, it's like, well, so one, one person, their contribution to the relationship could be a seven. And the other person, like, they can't help but be a three. And so it, it, it goes back to what you were saying before is that we all need to change. So it isn't just like the person who is this 
seven and like whatever that means, they can't drop down to five unless the person at three kind of steps up a little bit to, to come to five as well. So yeah. it is like what you were saying, the um, inter- interdependence, like we work together on this. And like what, what I'm doing with families r- really is giving the whole family an opportunity to see a larger picture, have insights and start to take action on those insights and really create conditions for everyone in the family to start making new changes. And like, I really see where addiction in the family creates an opportunity for transformation for everyone. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I 100% agree with that. And and I, I was just thinking of another concept which comes from John Maxwell, because you're talking about different levels, right? Um, so so one of the, the concepts that John Maxwell has with leadership is that we all have a leadership level, right? And so like if it's a scale of one to 10, right? Everyone's striving to be a 10. No one ever gets to be a 10, but we're all striving, right? And so you can develop yourself to become a better leader, right? Mm -hmm. Now what happens, right, is that if there is someone who is a couple levels ahead of you, right, the person who's a follower typically is so, um, it becomes so ostracized from how high they've gotten, Uh right? This other person has gotten that they actually remove themselves from being led by that person because they can't handle that change. Right. And so you, you have these relationships, right. Where you have people who one's a seven and one's a three in the relationship. Right. And what happens is this person who's a seven is so high and mighty, right. Compared Mm -hmm. to this three, that this person who's a three ends up pulling themselves out of the relationship because they, they feel so inadequate compared to the other person. Now, when you compare it to what we're talking about, right. You have a bunch of people in a family, right, who are probably at like a a level three or four level, right? And then they expect the person with the addiction to raise themselves up to a seven, right? But then that person got so far away from them that they feel like they're ostracized now. That's basically what's happening. And, And the other challenge is it's usually difficult to have that much of a raise in leadership, right? Is it possible? Yes, but it's really, really difficult to raise your leadership in a short amount of time, especially yeah. that much to the to this new expectation. Yeah. But when everyone comes together, right? You want this person to get to a seven? Well, what if we all became fives and sixes with that person, right? And then everyone becomes better as a whole unit. Right. Right. And, you know, I... Yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting concept and like I know specifically, you know, with the family that I grew up in, uh, like what I experienced was the trickle down of addiction from my grandfather to my mother's trauma and her coping defensive coping mechanisms to me growing up in a family like this spotlight diagram that I talked about and me using my own defensive coping mechanisms and you know not really thinking they were defensive 
coping mechanisms, but that was how I did life. And it really, what, what, contracted? It really made it much more difficult, if not impossible, for me to live my full potential kind of thing. And oh, yeah, definitely. I like it took me a long time to really realize that be, be, because when I did and I saw how how much I was being impacted by what I'm calling defensive coping mechanisms and not living to my full potential kind of thing and how like the addiction in my family, like, sure, I have my history with drugs and alcohol. I never went to a treatment center. I'm, I'm not in AA. I'm, 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 I'm not in what I would call um, recovery or maybe natural recovery or something. But yeah. like my, my passion with this is once I saw you know, the level of impact on myself with like for me, I, I got more love and attention showered upon me by my grandfather than anybody in my whole life. And like my, that was a wonderful experience. What that was, was is, you know, what psychobabble terms would call intergenerational transmission of me being the carrier of the grief and pain for the whole family, me being the most vulnerable to how do I deal with all, all, all that pain and it's not mine. And, oh my gosh, look, there's, you know, we have these wonderful things to numb pain all around us, you know, drugs and alcohol at, at the top of the list. And, you, you know, when I really saw like the impact on myself and in a pretty like minor addiction situation. And I thought to myself, Oh my God, there's like, huge amounts of impact to families and what if there was a way that that was inexpensive that was empowering and that built community and allowed people to actually use things like um connecting on a human level as a way to support and encourage them to you know, whatever their own next step is, whatever their transformation is, like w what would happen in w with families? Be because there's so many, there's like one in three families in the country that have been impacted by the deaths of addiction. That was a statistic that I read not long ago on facingaddiction.org. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one in three families, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, oh my God, the like the family members, like if I got the impact I got and I was aware of how like that limited my potential to thrive, like, wow, what if all these people kind of could see a larger picture and be like just inspired a little bit to start m making changes? Like our world needs that. Yeah. No, it, it's true. And, and I, I believe in the concept that things can be passed down generationally. Um, if, if you look at the Bible, it's like the quote generational curse, right? It's, and if, if you read Napoleon Hill's uh, hit, one of my favorite books by him, it's called Outwitting the Devil. It's, um, it's oh, what does he call it? Um, generational, 
I can't think of what it's called right now. I'll get back to it. Yeah. But ba- basically, we put ourselves into these cycles over and over and over again. And it, it's passed down from generation to generation to generation. Right. And so you, you would think like anybody can get out generational habit force. That's what he calls it. Ah. So, so basically, it, it's transferred this habit, right? Is transferred from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And we all basically keep ourselves at the same level or pull each other down to a worse level, right? Because yep. this habit force, it's like, right. a, it's yep. like a whirlpool, right? And so it goes around and around and it can eventually stink all the way till it's complete destruction, right? And it's hard to pull yourself out of the habit force as you get closer to the center. And, and th- this happens in our lives, right? We, we have, you know, people who with a grandparent who had a grandparent who had a grandparent who had an addiction and that right. addiction gets passed from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And it's, it's a lot of times it's not even intentional, right? Right. Oh. It, it's just because th- they're trying to do something that they don't know any other way. Um, yep. just, just like an example, Robert Downey Jr., right? His father did a lot of drugs and alcohol and started Robert Downey Jr. into drugs and alcohol at a very young age. He was under 10 years old when he started drugs and alcohol. Oh, wow. Because his father wanted a way to connect with him. And that was the only way he saw as a way to connect Uh, with him. It's it's horrifying to think about, right? But this is reality. This is the world we live in. Yep. And, you know, his dad wasn't trying to, you know, damage Robert Downey Jr. for a large part of his life, but that's what drugs and alcohol can do to people. Right. And he, he has the good intention, right, of wanting to connect with his son. And he just didn't see a way other than through this medium. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it gets passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation until someone decides to break out of that generational curse. It also right. reminds me of a movie I just saw. Um, awesome movie. Um, it's called um, Thug is the acronym, and it's The Hate You Give, which is based off of a song from, um, from Tupac, right? Uh-huh. Um, Tupac still lives. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but... Um, but basically the, basically, the acronym that um, Tupac said is that the hate, it, it goes thug life is the acronym. And it's the hate you give little infants Fs everyone, <laughs> right? And, and that's, the, that's the generational curse. That's I pass hate to you, you pass that hate to your right. children. That hate gets passed to the next right. generation. Now right. in this movie, right? You had one generation, right? The there's the they're school children, right? So they're they're in high school. The main character is a girl who's in high school. Um, her father, right, was living in the ghetto of of black community, basically. And he and his wife basically pulled their family out of that community, right, to begin trying to break that generational curse. They didn't want their kids to grow up in that lifestyle, right? They didn't completely break away from it because usually this, quote, generational curse takes time to overcome, right? But they pulled them far enough out. And you see how this concept plays out throughout the entire movie, how, right. how kids are dying in the streets over this generational uh, habit force that's happening, right? right? And 
this happens in our lives too. You experienced it in your life that this is an addiction that's being passed down and, and we aren't even aware it's being passed down until something outside of us shows it to us. Right. Yeah. So the, um, like the spotlight diagram that I described, yeah. that, that like some variation of that spotlight diagram gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like when my grandfather was showering all this love and attention on me, that's kind of what he was doing, you know, was yeah. putting me in the spotlight. And what I was aware of is one, I had never felt that much attention, especially from, you know, someone with a big, huge, booming voice. And I mean, at seven, eight, nine years old, I didn't know he was an alcoholic. I just knew he yeah. was my grandfather. And and he loved me, and he really, really showed it, and it's like that felt unbelievably awesome. The other side of it was I knew that my sister and my three female cousins were not getting that attention, and I thought that attention was about me personally, and yeah. I, I really wanted it to be about me personally, you know, and it yeah. wasn't. It was about my gender. You know, so it came with some gender shame. Yeah. And, and, and so, like, I, this spotlight gets passed down from generation to generation, some variation of it. And when we go into these roles, we learn these roles really well. And if we don't learn new skill sets, we go out and, as an adult, create relationships just like this spotlight diagram kind of thing because that's what we interpret as that's familiar we know that and on some level th that there's a meaning around love and caring and concern and that's how we feel seen and loved yeah so it's a i mean yeah it it's there's there's just a whole lot to it and you know, what I'm um, offering here with families is quite out of the box. I mean, just today I met with a guy at a treatment center who I've known for a number of years. He loves what I'm doing. And he's also um, a little apprehensive. Like, I, I would like to have something like that for our treatment center with our logo in it, with our people doing it. And, and I'm going great, you know, but he's he's just like well, what i'm doing is not therapy it's coaching mm -hmm. so yeah. it is kind of a bridge between families being in isolation to families being connected with resources and and services yeah and, definitely and 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 from from my studying the development world there's really kind of like five different areas of development you have you, you have your coaches you have like your therapists or your counselors or your healers, whatever you want to call them. You have your teachers, you have your mentors, and then you have like your consultants, right? And they play a different role that's really positive, right? And so if, if you want to live like a, a full experiential life, I think you need all of those roles in your life, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, so, you know, the, the person you were talking to, he plays the, the therapist's role, the counselor role, that, that healer role, right? But you're playing a different role for the same group of people. 
you're playing the coaching role, which is extremely powerful. I believe that coaching is one of the most powerful forces in the world. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a therapist by trade and as a therapist, what I've seen so much is that just that, you know, putting that modality as the only tool onto families that have so much going on, that's just not enough. And it, it, it kind of creates an expectation for families or individuals in therapy to that it should be enough. And it's like, I'm a big proponent of families having multiple support systems, you know, definitely kind of like the roles you just described. So, yeah, you know, they're all really powerful. You should have all of them. Right. I mean, I mean, even just like trying to, to connect it with the, the world of addiction, right. Your, your, you know, your therapist is going to be that, that, uh, counselor, therapist, healer role. Um, if you send someone to an addiction treatment center for 30, 60, 90 days, that's your consultant right there. Someone who's brought in to fix something, right? You have, you have resources that help people learn new things. That's your teacher role. You have mentors, right? You're going to meet people along this path who've been through this journey before and can give you their wisdom. That's your mentor role. And there's this role that's really not being brought to people's attention, which is the coaching role. And it's, it's a space that you are filling. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I mean, I don't know where all this is going to go. I do know that, um, well, I think I was telling you before we turned the recording on that I'm writing a book that I start yeah. the, the editing process Monday, actually. And, y- you know, I realized I had to write a book because it's so, you know, what I'm doing is so out of the box that even me sitting down with, someone like I did today for an hour or so and having some coffee and talking about what I'm doing, it's like difficult for them to be able to place it. Yeah. It's, it's because it's such a complex role within a complex system right. that people haven't really looked at, right? Within a, a area that's already extremely complex. I mean, when you're talking about human psychology, human addictions, these are already really complex things you're dealing with between the, the physical addictions of it, the emotional addictions that go along with it, the emotions that go flying outside of that, right? And, and just everything else that happens in life generally, this right. is a really tough area to be within, period. And, and you're, you're in, in an area that's pretty much unexplored from what I've seen. And it, it, it's not easy to get through that. I mean, we, we've been talking for an hour and a half almost, Yeah. right? Yeah. And there's, I know there's still so much more to this, to this problem, to the solution, right? Right. That yeah. we, we still need to get into. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I mean, that's true. And so, largely, w- what I'm trying to do, specifically, is address this from the standpoint of um, thinking. You know, because the way that we have been thinking about this problem, um, we have this solution. Um, 
which is, you know, kind of what I talked about with families that they try to fix it themselves until they can't and then hire an interventionist and send someone to treatment and they get therapy and that is the solution kind of thing. But, um, you know, we have one way of thinking about it and our statistics with addiction are, are they're not getting better. I mean, it's like every, every four minutes someone dies from an alcohol-related cause or an overdose. That's a lot of people every day. I mean, like the equivalent yeah. of a jumbo jet going down every day. And yeah, and, and it's, it's not just people dying, but it's potential that those people had to change the world is gone now because of something that can be overcome. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's like what I'm trying to do is to expand our thinking yeah. and um, and kind of like both and thinking, of course, we need the narrow thinking that focuses on, you know, the individual with the problem and we need them to get help and everything like that. But it's like, we also need to look at the larger situation. And so there's, um, it, the book I'm writing, which is called, I'm, um, it's not your fault. And then the subtitle is recognizing the family solution to addiction disruption. And so in, in, I use the river as a metaphor to kind of talk about the family journey in this process. And there's a chapter that I have um, called lessons from the river. And it's about what's called um, the parable of the river story. And it's essentially um, a village by a river, and one day someone in the village, they looked into the river, and they saw a baby floating down the river, and um, so they, they swam out there, and they saved the baby, and brought him back to shore, and as soon as they got to shore, someone else said, oh my gosh, there's, there's another baby out, out, out there, and so like that same kind of thing keeps happening, and they get more people in the village, and they coordinate efforts and people are swimming out there, and some people are on the shore taking care of them and feeding them and everything. And, and there's just more and more babies. And, and finally, someone says, um, I think we should put together a team and some people walk up the river and see, like, who's throwing all these babies in here? Yeah. And, and, and someone's like, no, we, we need everybody here to – like we, we, we don't have time for that. So it's this, you know, it's an example of a classic, very old problem of where do we put the energy that we have? And, you know, I'm advocating for a both and solution, you know, for some yeah. people to walk up the river um, and see what's going on there, what's contributing to all of those babies being in the river, and then people still, you know, catching the babies that are coming down kind of thing. So that's... Yeah. Um, just yeah, because, a, because both roles play really important piece to the entire puzzle, right? And, and you see this kind of situation play out in business too, right? You, you, you have problems continue to happen and you put the band-aids on those problems but it's not solving the actual problem. 
And so you need somebody, right? You either need to bring someone else in or you need to, to put someone on the job to figure out how do we actually solve the problem itself, right? right. The problem isn't that the baby's in the river. It's that there are, there's somewhere else where the babies are going into the river. And right. if we can figure out and stop the babies going into the river, then we won't have to save the babies here every single time. Or right. at the very least, we could slow it down so we can handle this like uh, san in, with sanity. Right. Yeah. 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 It, it, exactly. So it it's it's like my what I'm doing here is like a a emphasis on family because I really see where family can be they have the capacity to make changes where that role can be stronger in solutions and yeah and that role that role being families historically has been marginalized you know yeah, and no, and, it's, and it's blamed true. as as part of the problem and so you know initially <laughs> Cody is so funny. I mean, initially, I just created this three-phase process, and I kind of tacked it on the end of my doing interventions, and and it was it was cool. I'm 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 I mean, I I think a lot of people got a lot out of it. At least they said that. But but then when I I I wrapped this user-friendly community around it and made it very low cost, and it it's like three different membership levels, and this community is kind of like a, a like a place for the whole family to come in and st start to learn new information connect with like-minded people it's like that it allows people to self-determination to use their own energy to start to make change change that like they 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 guide so oftentimes what happens is family members they don't want to make any change because hey this is about johnny and addiction is brain disease and just fix your brain and everything's good on our side of the street here you know it's yeah. you that needs fixing and yeah and i i get there's a lot of stigma and shame historically that reinforces that message and I know family members deep down, they know there's more going on than that, you know, and for them yeah. to be able to safely, you know, start to explore that at their pace, like, hey, this opens up a lot of um, potential. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't really know where it's all going, but, but it's exciting, yeah. <laughs> fun. Well, and that's, that's the, that's what, what you're facing is the challenge of a pioneer, right? There's some unknown area that no one's been to and we have no idea what's out there. We know there's something, but we haven't discovered what it is until we decide to be the people to charge out into the great unknown and make it into something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I realize I can't do this myself. Like my role is more of um, inspiring others kind of yeah. thing and um i didn't really realize that was going to be my role you know but like the more i get into this the bigger it gets and the more it requires me to grow 
the more it requires me to grow into what you were talking about before, like a leadership role, but to be able yeah. to, to do that in some kind of way where I can create a container and a space that's safe enough and, and has a structure and, and, and boundaries for people to come in to be, for them to be able to make their own change. It isn't about me kind of having the silver bullet and saying, I know what's right for you and I know what's right for you. And I mean, yeah. like, I can say stuff and I can make guesses and sometimes it's helpful and sometimes it's, it's not. But yeah. what, what I found is that it's, it's really less helpful for me to tell people what to do. It's, it's, it's kind of like give a man a fish or teach a man to fish. Yeah, huh. exactly. Kind of and, and, and you, right now you're describing the difference between a teacher and a coach, right? right. Yep. The teacher gives information, right? But the coach actually helps you become the fisherman, yep. right? And, and yep. that's, that's a huge differentiation, right? You, you need someone to teach you the basics. I mean, that's extremely important. Don't get me wrong. Teachers play a huge role in making other people successful. But there's a point where you can't teach people anymore. They have to actually go out and live it, right? right? And that's where the coach comes in to help you figure out how do you actually live it. Right, yeah. Well, the, I mean, just the experience that I have in the addiction recovery space, what I've seen is there's a lot of addiction professionals out there that are really good at getting people into, into treatment and, and, and really good at, in, in, you know, getting families some initial help, but there's not a lot of like follow up and long term help kind of thing. Yeah. So, oftentimes, you know, families and it, it's 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 like the title of the book. It's not their fault, but you know, you know, you know families end up doing the same thing, creating the same container. So the same thing happens over and over and over and they end up using the same strategies like the strategies in the spotlight diagram or the you know continuing to swim out and save babies kind of thing which that's a that's an important thing i don't want to minimize that but yeah that, that by itself like we're going to run out of energy you know yeah. in, in or room in the village right <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, eventually there will be impact in the community. Um, and I think right now, the way addiction is going, I, I think there's a fair amount of impact in communities. And yeah. specifically like with the opioid addiction, I'm, I mean, a lot of people get a, a very slippery slope into that, just like being prescribed opioids after a dental surgery or something like that. And then the opioids hit their, 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 their body and the impact to them, like some, like our bodies are wired differently. And so the way an opioid impacts one person is going to be very different than another person. And yeah. so for people who have a lot of, um, trauma, for instance, um, or not a lot of love and connection as a child, you know, um, that's painful. And like when they take a painkiller, painkiller being like a Percocet, 
you know, or uh, Oxycontin or Vicodin or any number of those things or heroin, you know, it's, it's, it's like it addresses physical pain, but it also addresses emotional pain. And it, you know, when it takes that away, it's, it's, it's like, I'm, I mean, I, I, I remember years ago hearing from a woman saying like the first time I ever did heroin, it felt like a soft, warm hug. I never got in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm that's, fit. and that's the danger of addiction right there oh is it provides something that people are looking for, but it's not the real thing, right? It's right. just a facade. Right. But, you know, what am I going to do? Just say, say no to that soft, warm hug, you know? Um, not, if, not if you're the person who's never had a soft, warm hug before. Right. Right. So... I'm, I mean, this is no small deal that we're like this opioid crisis and, you, you know, the stuff with alcohol hasn't gone away. You know, no. it's, it's just that the opioid crisis has overshadowed it. Um, and so, I don't know, I, as, as you know, Cody, thank you very much for letting me go on and on and I could oh, go yeah. on for... Oh, I, I could go on too because this is this this information is so powerful. It is so needed in our world right now because right now we're going through some very terrible things as a society, right? And it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, right? Right. And it right now we need people to stand up as leaders to tackle these large challenges. And, and just like you're, you're saying there's an addiction problem, well, there's a leadership problem in the world too. Right. There are not enough people who are taking leadership positions on matters that are extremely important. And this right. is a matter that's extremely important. And we need leaders to stand up to face it. And you're one of those people. So thank you for being yeah. a leader here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. I, I feel like I'm a thought leader and I know that I am. I'm, I mean, sometimes it feels that way and sometimes it doesn't. I think the more time goes by, the, there will be less time when it doesn't. But I, I, I really want to put a shout out to this guy um, who, who just wrote this book called American Fix. And it's about the opioid crisis, you know, fixing the opioid crisis. The author's name is Ryan Hamden. And you know, so he tells the story in there about him being a heroin addict. And he, like, once he got out of that, he was a very outspoken man. And, like, the um, anonymity of AA kind of thing, um, he did not like that. And he spoke out. And, I'm, I'm, I mean, there's a lot more people speaking out now than there was, like, seven or eight years ago. But, he spoke out and actually um, he was involved with um, facingaddiction.org. Like 45 million people are following that. It's like a very big national organization. Ryan Hampton is now in politics. And politics, like there's people politically making decisions about addiction that don't really know anything, anything about it. About it. 
So yeah. Ryan is out there. So like, I, I mean, my hat is off to this, this, this man. And like, we need more people who like know what their passion is and they're willing to go out there to make change in the world. Like you're saying, leader. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of focused on just this addiction world and some of the craziness in it. And, yeah. and, and, and you broadened it to leadership in general. Yeah. You know, which I love, but I know in the addiction world, there's like a lot of the leadership. It comes from, you know, people that own treatment centers and the like leadership comes with, you know, people who have money oftentimes. Yeah. And, um, you know, someone like Ryan Hampton, who, who has gone into politics to really, you know, educate people about what addiction is like and the policies that we need to set up, you, you know, it's like, there's a lot of really good things happening in the addiction world. I do want to put that message out there. Yeah, definitely. So. Yeah. And, and, and any movement takes more than one leader, right? And like, like Martin Luther King Jr., right? He did not act alone. He, he did not go on a, a podium, say words, and then everything just changed automatically, right? Like that's how people think it happened, but yeah. it's not. He had thousands of people who were there to support him, who were there working with him, who were doing other things within the world to make that change happen. Right. Right. And, and they were leaders as well. Exactly. Yeah. All these people are leaders in different ways. It, it, like th this is one of the, the big problems we think of leaders is like you need one leader and they lead us to everything. Like, no, that's wrong. We're interdependent. We need leaders in different facets. Right. Right. And, and the more leaders we have in different facets, the more change we can actually bring about. So it's, it's not going to take one leader to change addiction problems, right? It's going to take a handful of leaders. It's going to take well, the um, person who wrote the book. Excuse me? What, what was the guy's name who wrote the book you just mentioned? Ryan Hampton. It's going to take Ryan Hampton to make political changes. It's going to take Jeff Jones to make a theolo uh, a, a yeah no not theolo uh, uh, a a mental change within the world of addiction to help in a different facet that people aren't looking at. And it's going to take more leaders to really create the change. Yep, yep, exactly. I'm on that on that page, and I I have so much enjoyed this conversation. Um, thank you very much. And, you know, um, I, I mean, I have a lot to say. I, I have a, a lot that I want to contribute. And um, I think over time, more and more of that is going to be happening. Definitely. Yeah. And I would love to have another conversation with you in the future, because I, everywhere this conversation went is uh, one, amazing two, extremely powerful, three, is there to help people with real challenges that are happening in the world right now right. that we need more leaders in, you know? Right, right. And I don't know who the next leader is going to be, right? But there needs to be more leaders. And I'm looking forward to hearing from those leaders. And I'm looking forward to hearing more from you too. So, so you've got a book coming out. It's 
Yeah. The title is It's Not Your Fault, Recognizing the Family Solution to Addiction Disruption. Jeff, where else can people find you? Yes. Um, the website is thefamilyrecoverysolution.com. And so um, on that website, people can sign up for the deep community. It's $150 for three months, um, two community chats every week. Um, and also on the website is um, something that says, um, you know, make an appointment or let's chat or something like, like that. And so if someone has questions, I can offer like a little um, conversation the other thing is that, um, you know, individual families can go through a three-phase process together. Families can live all over the place, anywhere there's an internet connection, and, and they can start a process together. The other is um, just like individual coaching for someone who um, they feel more comfortable with individual coaching as opposed to the community thing. So definitely. Yeah. And, and if you are going through addiction right now, if you know someone in your family going through addiction right now, if you know a, a coworker going through addiction or, or has someone who's going through addiction within their family, reach out to Jeff, do it as quickly as you can, because what he's providing here is exceptionally powerful and it has the ability to dramatically change lives. If, if you are having a hard time reaching out to him, reach out to me and I'll connect you to him. Thank you. Wow. No problem. All right, Jeff. Thank you. That was part two of this two-part series with Jeff Jones. I had a few great takeaways from this episode. Uh, one was a quote from Jeff who said, I learned more about families, I learned more about addiction, and I learned more about trauma. So those three are a core triad for me. And it's, it's that intersection of that triad where he's really looking to impact, which I think is incredibly important in today's world because there are a lot of broken families in the world. There's a lot of people battling addiction that need help. And that addiction causes a lot of trauma, both in the individual fighting the addiction and the family. And so we need more people to be legendary leaders in this area, in the world of addiction, stepping up and helping people fight this battle and overcome this battle. Another great takeaway that I got from this is the spotlight diagram. Jeff was talking about how very often, you can have a spotlight diagram where it focuses on an individual who's always doing really, really well, who's the A student, who everyone is, you know, happy for and focused on because they're doing so well. But that spotlight diagram can become this facetious cycle against someone facing addiction, where you have people who are enabling that person, or they're completely berating that person or they cu cut themselves off from that person when they most need help. It's a, it can be an extremely hard place 
to be in the spotlight. As the legendary leader, we have to recognize that, one, for ourselves, it's a hard place to be in the spotlight, but think about how much harder it is for someone who is facing that addiction. And if you're facing that addiction, recognize that that's not an easy place to be in and that it's okay to get help. It's okay to seek people to help you get through it because at the end of the day, we're interdependent. We all need each other to really come up out of the addictions in our lives, to rise up and above those addictions, become empowered to really live up to our heroic potential. That's the challenge that I put out to you. So, thanks for listening to this episode. Please make sure to go onto your favorite podcast player of choice and there rate the podcast. Then subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And then, if you truly want to be a leader, share this episode with someone that you know will be impacted because the best leaders fuel not only themselves, but others as well to their heroic potential. If you want to unlock your heroic potential faster, then you will want to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders who are dedicated to unlocking their heroic potential, unlocking the heroic potential of others, and where legendary leaders are born. We also have a goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofits that are actively undertaking causes to impact the future in areas including neurodiversity, character strength, positive psychological research, homelessness, and more. Seize the call now. Go to www.theleadership.guide and click Get Free Guidance Now to propel you on your journey to legendary leadership. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, and I'm honored to have spent this time with you today. My final message for you, and listen closely. It's time. Wake up your heroic potential. Let go of your fears and anxieties, and let's discover what is possible on your journey to become a legendary leader. Emerge and become who you were meant to be.